0: What's going on, people? My name is Greg Knox, and these are the worst date movies ever. I welcome you to the show. If you haven't done so already, please do check out the last episode that I did with Tom Cannon on Saw. It was a lot of fun, um, so I really, really highly recommend that one. Um, it also very much ties into the episode that I'm doing today, because, like I mentioned, I am currently covering uh, horror films released in the mid-2000s by Lionsgate, so on the last episode, I did Saw, and on this episode, I'm doing Hostel, directed by Eli Roth, and I'm going to be talking about sort of Eli Roth's career and things of that nature. Um, it's uh, an interesting show. Eli Roth is someone who I have, let's say, very mixed opinions about, so if you're a fan of Eli Roth, you might not want to listen to this one. Um, in terms of Hostel itself, is it a disturbing film? I don't think so but obviously it's something that you need to keep in mind if you're going to be listening to a show called Worst Date Movies Ever and as always, although I'm not going to be talking about every scene in Hostel you need to be aware of spoilers because I'm not just going to be spoiling Hostel I'm going to be spoiling part 2 and part 3 as well so without further ado, let's get on with the show 2005 was directed by Eli Roth. Now, it's at this point that I would normally ask, Who is Eli Roth? But you guys all know who he is, so I'm not even going to bother doing that. He's one of several directors, including James Wan, who I talked about in the last show, who rose to prominence in the mid 2000s to become arguably one of the most famous directors in horror at the time. Before I talk about his career, the one thing that you should know from watching or reading interviews with Eli Roth is that he's a massive horror fan. Above all else, whatever you want to say about the guy, whether you love him or you hate him, Eli Roth really loves horror movies. He has a series on AMC in America about the history of horror movies. He's a kind of guy who would go to horror movie conventions and horror festivals like Fright Fest. I mean, fuck, he even loves a lot of the same horror movies like I do, like Cannibal Holocaust. So he'd probably get on like a house on fire. However, as you know, Being a massive horror fan doesn't automatically make you a good director. So is Eli Roth a good director? To a certain extent, I would say yes, he is. You don't get to where Eli Roth has got to without having a certain level of talent. But, as with most things, it's not black and white, and I'm going to go into why that is on the show today. So the first place I wanted to start is an article that I found on the internet on Collider.com by Tom Ryman from the start of this year, which is titled... Why Eli Roth is a good director, actually. (laughs) So, nice title there. Which is interesting, because it doesn't actually explain why Eli Roth is a good director, actually. All Tom Roman seems to say in the article, at best, is that he loves horror films, and that he knows the tropes, and that he subverts our expectations. And that's about it. So, to quote from the article, To be clear, Roth loves gore, and he's damn good at shooting it. But as much as Hostel and its sequel are remembered for being intensely violent sadistic films designed to shock audiences into being terrified, both films showcase his respect and enthusiasm for the genre, and an impish habit of manipulating the tropes of said genre to subvert our expectations with some truly wild third-act turns. Roth knows horror and he likes to play around with it and he then goes into Cabin Fever and Hostel and Hostel 2 and The Green Inferno to give examples of said expectation subversion. The most egregious part of the article to me though is when he's talking about The Green Inferno, weirdly enough, when he's talking about the subversion here is the firm's giggly satirical and almost slapstick tone as if This is a good thing, which, as someone who's seen The Green Inferno a couple of times, I can tell you, it's not a good thing at all. So, like a lot of critical discourse, shall we say, about Roth, no one actually really explains why he's meant to be a good filmmaker. It just seems to be, well, he's a fan, and his films have social commentary, which aren't exactly the most convincing arguments in the world. My favourite Eli Roth film, and the only one that I'd say I'd watch again, is Cameroon Fever, which was his first film and came out in 2002. Cabin Fever is very typical for a first film in that it's very raggedy, it's very rough around the edges, and it wears its influences on its sleeve, so to speak. So it pays homage to The Evil Dead because it's a Cabin in the Woods film, it uses music from Last House on the Left on the soundtrack, and the ending is taken straight from Night of the Living Dead. He's also mentioned that it's heavily influenced by The Thing, but it's a bit less obvious there. But there are things in Cabin Fever that have not appeared in any of Roth's other films that I thought were quite interesting. So, for example... One of the things that we know about Eli Roth, if you go on Wikipedia, is that very early in his career, he worked with David Lynch on his website. And it's interesting that in Cabin Fever, there are a lot of what I would call Lynchian elements, like, for example, the very weird side characters like the cop or the shopkeeper or his weird son who likes pancakes, who stand out even in their small amount of screen time. I also like the score by Nathan Barr, it's ethereal and it's interesting, definitely the best score in any of his films, I would say. Um, There are also surreal moments, which again, don't happen in any of Roth's other films, and as a fan of surrealism, I appreciate those. Where the problems start, though, are with things that do appear in most of Roth's other films. So, Eli Roth's films are goofy, particularly in places where they shouldn't be goofy. Near the start of Cabin Fever, for example, there's a moment where we're getting to know the five main characters and one of them says, and I quote, that he's going to shoot squirrels because they're gay. Yeah, I know, right? Or the pancake scene, which loads of people who haven't seen Cabin Fever know because it was famous on YouTube for a while and is very out of place in the point in the film that it comes up. Other issues that come up again in Ross films are use of slurs in dialogue that you wouldn't be able to get away with today, not just gay squirrels, but a character right at the start of the film uses the N-word. Now, that pays off at the end of the film in a very entertaining way, if I do say so myself, but it doesn't exactly endear off to people, especially given his reputation as horror's resident frat boy, which comes from how he writes his characters. And this is the biggest complaint against all of Eli Roth's films, including this one, because the main characters in Cabin Fever, to me, are really, really not likeable. I don't know if it's because I'm the wrong audience, or if it's that I'm too old, or I've seen too many horror movies, or if this is just an American thing that I don't get, but yeah, these characters are just not likeable in the slightest to me. Even the character at the start of the film we think we're meant to like, Paul, turns out to be a horrible person by the end of the film, although Tom Ryman would probably just say this is subverting our expectations. I say it's stupid. What well, I would say, though, all these criticisms aside, is the film is at least fun, and like I said, I would definitely watch it again if you asked me to. Cabin Fever was made for only $1.5 million, that's less than Sword, by the way, and was picked up by Lionsgate, and wouldn't you know it, it turned out to be their highest grossing film of 2003. It also grabbed the attention of Mr. Quentin Tarantino, who raved about the film, and he met Eli Roth, and he quickly became friends with him, because you know what, they love exploitation films. One of my favourite stories from interviews with Eli Roth uh, in the time between Cabin Fever and Hostel is that he had an idea for a film based on a Time murder vacation website he came across on the dark web, and he was brainstorming ideas for this while swimming in Tarantino's pool, which is uh, a hilarious mental image to me for some reason. And that film ended up obviously being Hostel. But before I talk about Hostel, I have to talk about torture porn. Now, I've mentioned torture porn in the last show, but given the fact there are millions of Saw sequels that I needed to cover and I knew the episode was already going to be really long, in fact it turned out to be nearly two hours, wasn't really time to go for it on that episode, even though it's come up a couple of times now, so you know what, I'm going to go into it now instead. The term torture porn comes from an article on the New York Magazine website January 2006 by David Edelstein called Now Playing at Your Local Multiplex, Torture Porn. Interestingly, the words torture porn aren't actually used in the body of the article, so it's possible Adelstein didn't come up with the term itself, but for better or worse, that's where it originated. The article itself isn't very long, and is in short about why films like Saw and Hostel and Devil's Rejects and even The Passion of the Christ were very popular at the American box office, despite the fact they contained extended scenes of torture. Adelstein actually praises Hostel in the article, saying it's not a bad little thriller, If you can live with the odd protracted sequence of torture and dismemberment. So it's not the critical hit piece that people just assume it is. Of course, a lot of people still hate the term torture porn because it's reductive and it's dismissive. And you know what, to a certain extent I agree with that, but it's just words you know, they're shallow, they don't really mean anything, it's not literally saying that people get off seeing people get tortured, so it's better not to take it so literally, I think. When I use the term torture porn, I'm only referring to a specific group of horror films that came out in the 2000s, early 2010s. I don't mean it in a derogatory way. A better description for these films might be something like sadistic horror as these are exploitation films featuring sadistic scenes of violence and torture. Another term used at the time was Gorno but it never took off because quite frankly it's shit. In terms of where torture porn came from uh, Tom Dennett Cook and myself when we've talked about it on the Lament Configuration and other places like this have talked about how horror goes in cycles. So in short In the 70s you had films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Last House on the Left, I Spit in Your Grave, films like that which were gritty and disturbing and they were made for not really that much money but were mostly fought for and generally about something. Then in the 80s and 90s horror movies were made mostly for a mainstream audience so these had to attract the widest possible audience and were therefore more glossy and safe. And then from about 2003, horror movies became more violent and disturbing again, like the 70s. And people's reasons for this are usually, oh, you know, it's because of 9-11 and torture being used in the Iraq War in places like Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay. And that's why these films are popular, because they reflect how America was at the time. But I don't actually agree with that. And there are a few reasons for this. So, going back to the last episode, James Wan and Lee Whannell, they said in interviews that they wanted to make a film like Saw as a response to what was going on in horror in the 90s. Not because of what was going on in the real world. They just wanted to make something a bit more grown up than what was going on in horror at the time. Lots of PG-13 rated horror movies and stuff like that. Also... Outside of the US, there are a lot of films before 2003 that were very influential, so films like Audition and Ichi the Killer by Takashi Miike, I Stand Alone and Irreversible by Gaspar Noe, and even Funny Games by Michael Haneke that were doing disturbing content in a different way that horror aficionados like Eli Roth would have seen at festivals. I mean, Roth even put Miike in Hostel as a cameo, which should tell you everything that you need to know. Finally... If we take the starting point for torture porn as 2003, though we'd already had Cammy Fever and House of a Thousand Corpses by Rob Zombie, the film that really started the boom was, and I may have mentioned this once or twice so far this series, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, which debuted at number one in the US box office, in my opinion purely based on the reputation of the original. Then next year, we had Saw, which, as me and Tom Cannon discussed, didn't have a lot of torture in it. It's a mystery film, but was sold as a film where someone had to cut their foot off to survive. It made fuckloads of money and became a huge franchise. See previous episode for more details. Then next year, we had Hostel, which also debuted at number one in the US box office. So in three years, we've got three films, heavy themes of torture and violence that make lots of money. So guess what happens? Lots of torture porn films come out. Few of them are good. All the good films are made outside of America, incidentally, but mostly they're pieces of shit, like Captivity, or Touristas, or Seed by Uwe Boll. Some of these were remakes, like The Hills of Eyes, check out the episode I did with Tom Dennett Cook if you haven't already, Last House on the Left, and I Spit on Your Grave, both of which I don't like. Speaking of films I don't like, I believe that Saw 3 was heavily influenced by Hostel, not in its style or anything like that, but in how much torture was shown on screen. I mentioned in the last show how mean-spirited I thought Saw 3 was, and that's down to the way that people were tortured and they couldn't escape the traps. So you'd have these prolonged scenes of people in agony before they just died. And that comes from horror fans seeing Hostel, wanting the traps in Saw to be more like that. So I think the producers of Saw caved into fan expectations and changed the trap scenes. Over time, the Saw films made less and less money, and once they stopped, and you replace them with films like Human Centipede, which is the second ever episode I did, by the way, and a Serbian film, there wasn't really anywhere else that you could take torture porn. The last year where several torture porn films were released was 2012, when you had films like Would You Rather, The Collection, and The Seasoning House. As with anything, taste and society changed, and torture porns is now a relic of the past, barring the odd straight-to-VOD film or something from a big franchise like Spiral. So, as I mentioned, Hostel was the third film after Saw and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake that led to the rise of torture porn, so it makes sense to talk about it right now, because fuck, I mean, that's why you're all here, right? The story of Hostel is pretty simple. You've got two American college students, Paxton, who's played by Jay Hernandez, and Josh, who's played by Derek Richardson. They're backpacking across Europe, along with an Icelandic guy called Ollie, who's played by Good Johnson. They're in the Netherlands. They go to a nightclub, which Josh manages to get them kicked out of because America... Then they go to a brothel, and Paxton and Ollie have sex, but Josh does not. They go back to the hostel they're staying in Amsterdam to go to bed, but they're locked out because they're past their curfew. They make lots of noise because, again, America, they manage to really annoy their neighbours, so they manage to, basically, they end up in the apartment of a guy called Alex who convinces them that instead of going to Barcelona like they're supposed to, they should visit a hostel in Slovakia because it's full of beautiful single women who will sleep with any tourist who comes there because all the men are dead from the war what war he's referring to isn't clear but our dude bros don't ask because sex and stuff when they get to Slovakia they find they have to share a room with two stunningly beautiful women Natalia and Svetlana played by Barbara Nedelikova and Jana Kaderapkova. They go to a spa, they go to a disco, and they have sex with the women, and then the next day, you know what, wouldn't you know it, Ollie's disappeared, he's not returning their calls, and that's down to the fact that he's missing his head. Scary stuff indeed. Now, I have to be honest with everyone, when I first saw Hostel, it was 2007 or 2008, I forget, it was a long time ago, and I really hated it from the bottom of my heart. Even watching it now in 2021, I still don't really like it. I don't hate it there are certain things that it actually does quite well but I still don't think it's a very good film but all that being said there are a couple of charges that regularly made against the film that I wanted to defend it from before I got into why I personally don't like it. So the first one which is a kind of lazy criticism that mostly critics made when the film was released is that the film is unnecessarily violent and that it's wall-to-wall torture. Now Anyone who's seen the film will know that that's not true in the slightest. What Eli Roth did, and he's said this in interviews, is that he wanted to basically copy what Takashi Miike did with Audition, so there isn't any violence as such for the first half of the film. It's a slow burn. The first actual torture scene doesn't take place until 40 minutes into the film, and after that, there isn't as much torture and violence as you might expect, because like Saw, a lot of it's off-screen and sold in how the characters react to the violence. It's violent for a mainstream American audience, but when you've watched a lot of really disturbing films like I have, or you've watched you know, Lucio Forci films for example, then it's really not that violent. The gore effects, which are done by Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger, are very well done, I would say. They look quite realistic for the most part. The only one that looks a bit shit is the Japanese woman with her eye sticking out, where the American businessman, who is one of the only good things in the film, by the way, played by Rick Hoffman, takes a blowtorch to her eye, and Paxton tries to help her by cutting her eye out, but it starts oozing this yellow pussy liquid, and it's kind of nasty, but at the same time it looks kind of cartoonish. Other than that, I would say the gore effects are really good, Uh, is the film wall-to-wall torture no absolutely not so I thought I would give Eli Roth a bit of a pass on that one if that's the case is it even torture porn if you read reviews for Hostel the positive ones specifically there are people out there who say oh Hostel's not torture porn what are you talking about but while there's not that much actual torture in the film I would say it is torture porn because as much as Eli Roth doesn't like it it's part of that cycle also and I'm going to go into this in more detail later on The film isn't as clever as some people, or Eli Roth for that matter, think it is. The other charge made against the film is whether it's xenophobic or not. The film set in Slovakia, which is presented as a world where all the women are 10 out of 10 supermodel hot who will sleep with any foreigner... The men are all either brutish or weird-looking, there are dangerous gangs of kids roaming the streets who will happily kill you if you don't give them what they want, and the town itself is shown as backwards, run-down and ugly. Slovakians were not happy after the film came out, for obvious reasons. Thomas Galbavi, a member of the Parliamentary Culture Committee, said, I am offended by this film. I think that all Slovaks should feel offended. This monstrosity does not at all reflect reality, and added it would damage the good reputation of Slovakia. Linda Hydechova of the Slovak Culture Ministry said, We are unanimous in saying that this film damages the image of our country. Slovakian newspaper SME described Hostel as showing the country as a backwards country where our beautiful young girls are the lowest whores. In response to this, Roth was quoted as saying, Americans do not even know that this country exists. My film is not a geographical work but aims to show Americans' ignorance of the world around them. And in that sense, I agree with Roth. So while I agree that the Slovakia presented in Hostel is ugly and all that, the film is not a documentary. It's not purporting to show an actual Slovakia that really exists. In fact, the film was actually shot in the Czech Republic, which ties into what Roth was saying about ignorance. The film that I compare this most to when it comes to this criticism is actually Borat. The Kazakhstan presented in Borat is not the same as the Kazakhstan in real life, again, because it wasn't actually filmed there. It's a film version that you aren't meant to take that seriously. What the interesting question to me is though, is why Roth decided to set the film in Slovakia in the first place when there are other parts of Eastern Europe that would have been more fitting for the story that he wanted to tell. So yes, Slovakian people, I wouldn't take this too seriously. As Dutch people, as for editorial balance, I should mention that a few people, including Jerome from Horrible Reviews, have pointed out that the scenes that take place in Holland show people speaking German instead of Dutch, so maybe the Nazis won World War II in this universe. Or, as is more likely, maybe Eliroff didn't do his research properly. You could also argue that more than Slovakia or the Netherlands, the people who come across the worst in Hostel are Americans. If we take this review from The Outer Rim by Letterboxd user No Personality as an example, it says If you think Eliroff makes Slovakia look bad, please tell me how the Americans we see in this film make the USA look any better. There wouldn't be suppliers without demanders, and the folk doing the torturing are coming from all over the world. So if you still have your sights set on Roth demonising Eastern Europe, you're basically demonising everyone else by suggesting we're all killers just waiting for a purge-type excuse to ring the dinner bell. And if Elorov had been from any other nation in the world except Canada, the backpacking bros would be from his same country. Meanwhile, I contend that America would be among the only ones to look at Rick Hoffman's character and wonder, is this what Americans look like to the rest of the world? Now, to contextualise this a little bit, unlike Saw, and this is not meant as a criticism of Saw, by the way, this film is about something, in inverted commas. So one of the things that Eli Roth has said in interviews is that Hostel is about exploitation, how at the start of the film in Amsterdam these guys buy these prostitutes, they only see them as objects, and then in the second half of the film this is flipped on them and they are used in that same way. Just from watching the film and seeing the layout of the brothel in Amsterdam, you can tell it's meant to be an inversion of the abandoned hospital used as the torture facility later on in the film, and it's really obvious because one thing you can say about Eli Roth is that he's not very subtle I mean the company running the torture facility is called the Elite Hunting Club for fuck's sake which is like avatar levels of subtle really is Where this lack of subtlety becomes a real problem, though, is, like with Cabin Fever, in the main characters, and this is the biggest issue that I have with the film. Going back to the review by No Personality again, they say, Roth can't possibly use the torture scenes as just desserts awaiting the same characters he's celebrating, where they're running through dance halls calling them fag fests, a word he has them use frequently, and most often literally, but is he actually celebrating them? What about those pesky interviews where he states the film is about American arrogance and ignorance? How far does that extend? And is he attempting to balance the character's lack of morals with their fairly noble anti-rape stances? Or Paxton's touching childhood memory about trying to save a little girl from drowning? And gee, what about Josh and that implied homosexuality? Kinda on again off again. This thing is all over the map. But if there is one thing these characters are as a group, it's unlikable and frankly irredeemable. A counterpoint to this comes from this 4 out of 5 review by another Letterboxd user, Jacob Knight, who says A peculiar experience watching a movie that now acts as a time catch for a specific moment in horror history that you lived through. This is still grisly as hell and rides its ingenious central concept all the way across the finishing line, presenting us with two ugly Americans and their goofball Euro companion who Roth undoubtedly still adores – Hostel is the best artistic proof of horror fans' long-standing criticism that he's the genre's frat boy, as he clearly wants us to empathize with these crass, homophobic, xenophobic, misogynistic closet cases, coding Josh as gay is as deliberate a choice as any made in the film, and even goes as far as to cast himself in a cameo as a fellow bong-gripping Amsterdam headshot tourist. But that's also the point. These idiots need to be vapid douchebags who haven't experienced much in the way of foreign culture, let alone true horror or atrocity. That's what makes the final act of violence so visceral and satisfying when it comes to Jay Hernandez's backpacker turned cold-blooded murderer. It takes the stark reality of torture, images of which were being transmitted on a regular basis during the early aughts, courtesy of Gitmo and Bush's war on terror sham, to transmute this party animal into a literal animal, slaughtering his best friend's killer in a bathroom for the sake of simplistic revenge. So even in this 4 out of 5 positive review calling the central concept of the film ingenious still says that the characters are crass and homophobic, xenophobic, misogynistic and vapid douchebags. And I personally find it very difficult to empathise with them as a result. I've never liked films like American Pie or Road Trip, or the film that this is most compared to, Euro Trip so that probably had something to do with it. To me, the biggest mistake the film makes is killing off Josh halfway in, because he, to me, was much more likeable than Paxton, although Tom Ryman would probably say that Roth was subverting our expectations here. And as far as the talking points of whether Josh is gay, or whether he's still a virgin, or whatever, I don't really know. Knowing what I do about Eli Roth, I find it hard to believe he would put a closeted character in one of his films, but as a straight man, that just might be my reading of the film. I don't know. Overall, the main characters are thin, not given a lot to do other than be horned dogs or torture people, and as is the problem with all films like this, if all your characters aren't likeable or interesting, why should I care about what's happening to them? The only characters in the film who aren't like that are the two Japanese women who only exist in the film to be tortured, and that's it. So, other than what I've mentioned already, the problem with talking about a film like Hostel is the film itself just isn't very interesting to me. It's competently made, the opening credit sequence is quite well done, and you know it worked because they repeat it again in Hostel 2, the gore effects are pretty effective, Rick Hoffman's character is creepy for the five minutes or so he's on screen, and I didn't find the film boring to the point that I didn't hate watching it multiple times for this show. That's it. It's basically a mid-2000s update of The Most Dangerous Game. It's not a terrible film, but it's not the masterpiece a lot of the online discourse around the film would have you believe. An example of what I'm talking about is this 5 out of 5 review on Mubi from user Light in the Dusk, which says What once looked like an endorsement now feels like a critique. The entitled sexism and cultural insensitivity of the frat boys abroad now resonates with contemporary discussions on toxic masculinity and the jingoism of post 9-11 America. The film comes into its own in the second act where the atrocity exhibition of the narrative proper seems reminiscent of Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo and the perspective of US soldiers in Iraq. Okay, so for starters, how does the film come into its own in the second act? you haven't actually said. Also, (laughs) Eli Roth is the last director who would ever make a film about the horrors of toxic masculinity, just read up on some of what's written about him on Twitter. But, the main problem I have with this is that there's no discussion of the film itself other than, well, it's about something, therefore it's great. Let me tell you something, just because a film has a message, or it's an allegory, or it's got social commentary in it, doesn't automatically make it a good film. If that was the case, everyone wouldn't say Crash was one of the worst Best Picture Oscar winners of all time. What reviews like this also do is ignore what Roth said in interviews about this very subject. In an interview with IGN, he said... The most important thing for me is for the movie to be entertaining, and that's number one. First and foremost, people have to like the movie. But I like movies where maybe the first time you saw it, you think about the gore or the chainsaw fight, but then you watch it a second time and you go, oh my god, everything that happens in Amsterdam is actually paralleled later in Slovakia. Everything they do to these prostitutes gets done to them. It's all about the commoditization of other people, and every line of dialogue is intentional. I think that sometimes you're making a movie and things get in there that filmmakers don't intend, but it's all there. When you're writing and producing and directing it, you have a point of view about the world and horror movies are one way to express that point of view. So there are underlying themes, like I mentioned earlier, but nothing like what Lights in the Dusk brought up in their review. I suppose what I'm getting at is this. Of all the directors in the world who make horror films, I'm supposed to believe Eli Roth is this great social commentator the guy who put stupid characters in all his films, the guy who made The Green Inferno and knock-knock, the guy who put the most annoying plot contrivance I've ever seen in any film, where Paxton's escaped from a torture facility, he's driving through town, and Natalia Svetlana and Alex happen to be stood in the middle of the road all at the same time so that he can run them over. This motherfucker. I think I'll stick with George Romero and Wes Craven. Thank you very much. But now that I've got that off my chest, the only question that's left is, Hostel, how bad is it? Now, on the last show, myself and Tom Cannon said that Saw was a good date movie because it isn't really that violent, and it's a fun mystery movie with a great twist that you could get into. Hostel is more violent than Saw, I would say. There are more torture scenes, and they're more central to the plot. But, as I said earlier, it's not as violent as its reputation suggests. Yes, there are some icky bits, particularly the part with the eye, but this is down to the strength of the gore effects, not because of the film itself, which honestly is not scary or disturbing at all. Like all of Eli Roth's films, it's goofy and not meant to be taken seriously. Mark Kermo described it in his Radio 5 review as a popcorn and vomit movie, which I think is very appropriate. Really, this is the kind of horror film you could probably watch on a date and get away with it. I mean, you'd have to be careful, but you could still get away with it, like I said. So while I wouldn't say it's a good date movie, it's Not a bad date movie, and I wouldn't say it was any worse than that. So yeah, if you want to watch this on a date, feel free, you'll probably be okay. If you wanted to watch something similar to this, that's actually disturbing, I recommend watching Audition, because that's what Eli Roth did when he tried to make this, and you'll see how he failed. Finally, I thought this review by letterbox user Thomas was a good way to summarise my thoughts as he shared a lot of opinions that I had about the film. He gave the film 1.5 stars out of 5, saying I don't get the appeal of this film, the main characters are insufferable arseholes of the highest calibre and I don't give a fuck about them. The acting is subpar and the technical aspects are unremarkable as well, except for some really good gore effects. The worst thing is that the first half is full of dialogue situations and offensive stereotypes that would even be too dumb and cringy for the later director DVD American Pie films. It's hard to say who should be more offended by the presented cliches, Europeans or Americans. I've read in some reviews that the film is meant as a satire on Americans' fears and prejudices concerning everything foreign. Personally, I didn't get any satirical vibes from the film, but I think this is the only interpretation that makes the movie somewhat bearable. In the second half, there are some cool, memorable, and positively disgusting gore scenes that should make fans of the genre happy, but there are too few of them, and they're not great enough to save the film. Based on the film's reputation, I expected something like the first Saw film, which I like very much. What I got felt more like a mixture of the later Saw films, and an even worse Euro trip. Hostel is neither scary nor entertaining. Based on this film, I would say that I enjoy Eli Roth more as a Nazi-killing bear Jew than as a director. Being friends with Tarantino doesn't make you Tarantino. Despite this, <laughs> Hostel made so much money that in 2007, Eli Roth made Hostel Part 2. This one has a bit of a weird narrative in that there are two stories going on. So instead of it being free guys, it's free girls. And while they're not as obnoxious and annoying as the guys from the first film, they're still really dumb. And you also have Roger Bart, who I've seen in Excision, which is a really fun film. Check out my review of Lucy Goes to Hollywood for that one. And him and his friend are having some kind of midlife crisis, so his friend convinces him to join the Elite Hunting Club because, I don't know, it's something that makes you a real man, and killing people is the only thing that gives you pleasure or something. You know, I don't know. I'm not rich, guys, so I don't know. I don't get it. Maybe that's true. Who knows? For the first hour of the film, it seems like he's very unsure, he's not really that keen on the idea, but it seems like he's being forced into it by his friend, his friend seems to be reeling into it, you know, he's having a grand old time, maybe he's overcompensating a little bit, but he seems to be into the idea, and then all of a sudden, when he actually has to kill one of the girls, he's like yeah, no, I'm not really into this now. And then he suddenly changes his mind and tries to leave, and then Roger Bart is suddenly really into the idea. It's a bit of a 180-degree character change there, not going to lie, a bit fucking stupid, but Tom Ryman would say Eli Roth was subverting our expectations here, so, you know, whatever. To be honest, guys, I found this film really boring. I was just not thrilled by this whatsoever. Like, whatever you want to say about the first film, at least it had a certain energy to it. This film has no energy to it, it just feels very kind of laboured, like the story's really going through the motions. Um the first five minutes are just Paxton coming back and he dies to tie up that loose end. And then yeah, it's all just very laboured for about 30 minutes because we know where this story's going, because we've seen it already. You know, and that's the problem with doing a sequel. Is you know, you've always gonna have those expectations. So you've got these three girls, they're in Italy, they're doing a life modelling class, where the teacher's Edvig Fenech for some reason, and then they somehow get convinced by this model, Axel, to go to Slovakia. Now, we obviously know why that is, but these American girls are like, oh, fuck it, let's just go to Slovakia. Yeah, why not? And although the film isn't as problematic as the first one in terms of how it depicts the locals, Slovakia itself actually looks really nice this time. Um, You've still got the same issues with all the local characters either being brutish or goofy looking men, supermodel women, or the gang of children, only this time with this lovely backdrop. There are only two things that I liked about the film. So the film stars Heather Matarazzo, who I remember from Welcome to the Dollhouse and being really, really good in it. I've no idea what she's doing in this film. Uh, Her character is very, very stupid. She doesn't want to be there but she goes off with the first guy who gives her any kind of attention and she ends up being the first of the girls to get captured and dies halfway through the film and she dies in the only interesting death in the entire film I think literally Eli Roth only wanted to make this film For this one set piece where, as you can kind of see sort of in the poster for the film, she gets hung upside down, totally naked of course, with this bath contraption underneath her. And this random naked woman appears and starts cutting her. And then Heather Matarazzo just starts bleeding all over this woman, Elizabeth Bathory style. And yeah, that scene was really good for what it was. Um, I thought it was the only scene in the film that had any atmosphere to it or any kind of edge. And the only other interesting scene in the film literally happens straight afterwards where the main characters at a spa are being seduced by Axel, and then all of a sudden the rest of the people at the spa they just have randomly disappeared and it becomes very eerily quiet because there's no one there. And I thought that worked quite well as well. Other than that, the only fun I had was when Regero Diodato randomly turned up in a cameo eating a man's leg, as you do. That was fun. So there are two scenes in the middle that I thought worked quite well and had a bit of atmosphere, and Reguero Diodato eating a man's leg. That's it. They're the only things that I liked in the film. The rest of it was boring and a bit tedious. I mean, it's not badly shot or anything from a technical perspective. You know, it's not a shit film or anything like that, but it's not anything that I would recommend to anyone, and it's nothing that I'm going to see ever again. The last sequel, unless they decide to make another one, Hostel Part 3, then came out in 2011. This one wasn't directed by Eli Roth, and he had nothing to do with the film whatsoever, and when I tell you about the film, you're not going to blame him. It was instead directed by Scott Spiegel, who, as well as being a producer of the previous two films, also, he's got a couple of interesting credits to his name, Uh, he co-wrote Evil Dead 2 with Sam Raimi, And he directed Intruder, which I think is one of the most underrated slasher films of all time. It's a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine. So on paper, sounds like this might be quite interesting. It's not, quite frankly. So the film is essentially what would happen if Hostel was a straight-to-DVD film set in America. Also, it answers the question of what would happen if you took The Hangover and you added torture scenes to it. The basic story of the film is you've got this guy, he's getting married, his best friend takes him on a bachelor party to Las Vegas with a couple of his mates, and it's all very lads, 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 it's all very entourage style, lots of half-naked women, lots of close-ups of butts and boobs and all that kind of stuff, and it turns out, wouldn't you know it, one of them goes missing, and then, yeah, you know, you can probably tell where the rest of the film kind of goes from there. Really, there's not a lot to say about this one. It's even by the low standards of the other two films, a massive step down. The characters, although I've said the characters in these films are not exactly amazing, the characters in this one are very stereotypical and bland. The acting is not great, and there's some really horrendously bad dialogue in this, particularly in the second half of the film. One of the characters has a line, "'When it comes to pussy, I have no friends.'" Not sure how they said that with a straight face, to be honest, but oh well. It has the same look and feel as the Saw sequels. That's not a compliment, by the way. It looks really cheap, even though, according to Wikipedia, it cost $6 million to make. Somehow, think about that. The CGI in this film is very bad, they use it in some of the torture scenes and the gore effects are a huge step down from what Nicotera and Burger did. The worst is where a woman gets killed by having loads of cockroaches kind of go into her mouth and down her throat which on paper sounds horrendous but they're really obviously CGI so it just looks stupid. Um, The worst thing about the film, though, is that there are so many shit twists in it. There's one good twist right at the start. That's the only good thing I'll say about the film. There's a good sort of subversion of expectations. So there you go. That's the actual good subversion of expectations right at the start of the film, and that's it. There are so many twists though, but by the end of the film, it's completely bewildering. Like every five minutes, the film wants to wrong foot you. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I bet you think you know what's coming. Oh no, wait, no, I see I fooled you. Fuck. Ah, fuck you, you know, look at this. You know, there's two big twists in the film. One in the middle, which wasn't really a surprise, like you can see it coming, but alright, fine, okay, it's a bit stupid. But then there's a twist right at the end that again, while you can see it coming, is so stupid that any sense of plausibility is completely flown out the fucking window by this point. It's just horrendously bad. So, all in all, Hostel Part 3, shit. It's a nice short review, just don't watch it. In fact, don't watch any of the Hostel films, really. But definitely don't watch Part 3. In terms of the rest of Eli Roth's career, (laughs) because, like I said, nothing to do with Hostel Part 3... Um, In 2007, as well as releasing Hostel Part 2, he made a trailer for Thanksgiving as part of Grindhouse, the Quentin Tarantino-Robert Rodriguez film, which, to be honest, might be the best thing that Eli Roth ever did, even though it's a trailer. It's a lot of fun, so if you haven't seen it already, it's quite easy to find, so yeah, I recommend that one. He appeared in Death Proof. Uh, And then a couple of years later, he made his most well-known acting appearance in Quentin Tarantino's *Inglorious Bastards as Sergeant Donnie Donowitz, the Bear Jew. After that, and possibly because Hostel Part 2 didn't make as much money as expected, which was blamed on piracy and the fact it was released in summer, who releases a film like Hostel in the summer? Come on now, doesn't make any sense. It was six years before he directed another film, which was The Green Inferno. Now, as I mentioned right near the start of the show, Ilarov was a huge fan of Cannibal Holocaust, as am I, and he wanted to make a film that was in the style of films like Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox and all those Italian cannibal films. So you'd think a film like that I'm going to absolutely love. Well, I actually really, really don't like The Green Inferno, A lot of people have issues with The Green Inferno for reasons like they think it's misogynistic or it's racist or it's got more of Roth's unsubtle sort of social commentary on social justice warriors and things of that nature but the problem I have with the Green Inferno is that it's really stupid like it's unbelievably stupid and sophomoric and you know once the main characters have been captured by cannibals you've got a character shitting themselves you've got a character masturbating you've got a character who's got weed and the cannibals they cook it in a giant oven and the cannibals all seem to get high from the smoke somehow i'm not sure how that works and yeah it's just it's just unbelievably stupid it's a stupid film uh i mean i may do an episode on the green inferno one day but in short i'm definitely not a fan let's put it that way and then after that 2015 he made Knock Knock, which is a remake of a film from the seventies called Death Game, starring Keanu Reeves, Annie DeAmus and his wife, Lorenza Izzo, who's also in the Green Inferno, and like that film, it's really bad. Keanu Reeves at points gives a really embarrassingly bad performance. He goes full-blown Nicolas Cage-style overacting at points in the film, but he's not Nicolas Cage, he's Keanu Reeves, he's a really likeable guy, so I don't know why he was doing that in this film. Also, the two female characters are just annoying, and I don't really see what the point of the film was. I'm just confused. I've no idea why Elorov decided to make this film of all films. It's just horrible. I don't know whether this or Green Inferno are his worst film, but it's it's neck and neck, guys. It really is. So at this point, it's the middle of the 2010s. The man's made two really bad films. After that, guess what? He makes another bad film. So in 2018, he directed the remake of Death Wish, which is interesting because he was essentially a director for hire at this point, which kind of shows you how far his stock had fallen if this is the best that he could do. So, Death Wish was originally supposed to be remade by Joe Carnahan. It's quite a well-known story in that he wanted to do a remake of Death Wish, and he had this script that was meant to be really great, but there were issues with the studio, and Carnahan dropped out from the project. He didn't want to make it anymore, and so Ila Roth then said, ''Oh, fuck it. I'll come in. I'll make Death Wish.'' So, you've got Ila Roth having to direct Bruce Willis, who's in full-blown I-don't-give-a-fuck mode. It's a terrible combination, and I'm not saying that the original Death Wish is a masterpiece or anything like that, but oh boy, you can tell right away that Bruce Willis just does not give a fuck about this film, and the film is an absolute slog to get through. It really is. It's just not great at all. Now, you'd think that three bad films in a row would be the end of Eli Roth's career, but no, strangely enough, also in 2018, Eli Roth made a kid's film, if you can imagine that. It's called A House with a Clock in Its Walls, starring Kate Blanchett and Jack Black. And I've seen it. It's all right. It's kind of a poor man's Harry Potter. I find it quite meh, to be honest. Uh, these types of films, they're not aimed at me. So I'm not the target audience. So maybe my opinion isn't really relevant. But anyway, this film made a lot of money. It was number one in the US box office the week it came out. Um, So somehow, even though he's not made a film that's made any money or had any kind of critical acclaim since 2005, 2007 if you count in Hostel Part 2 as a success, he's managed to succeed. So hey, you know what? Well done, Eli. And the next film that he's set to direct is Borderlands, which I understand is based on a popular video game. I don't play video games so it means nothing to me but it seems to mean a lot to other people and they all seem very excited about it so you know what that can make money as well so you never know James Wan might not be the only successful horror director from the 2000s after all either of, you know what he might be the one to have the last laugh and so that's my discussion of Hostel and Eli Roth. I um, hope you guys have enjoyed the show. It was uh, yeah a lot of fun to do. Um, if you haven't listened to any of the uh, previous shows in the series, or indeed any of the shows before this series, you know, hey, give them a listen. Um, all the shows in this series they're all tied together. So the last show I talked about Saw. This show is about Hostel, and then on the next show we're going to be talking about the third Big Lionsgate horror film from the mid 2000s by rob zombie it's the devil's rejects so yeah check me out in a week's time where i'm going to be bringing you my review of that one and uh, yeah i hope to see all you guys then thank you for listening if you want to follow me on social media you can at worst date movies ever and don't forget to click subscribe wherever you're listening to this right now to never miss another episode of worst date movies ever